Welcome to Kingdom Living Today with Apostle Desiree Andrews, broadcasting from iKingdom Ministry Studio in Tallahassee, Florida. Join Apostle Des with today's word just for you. Thank you for joining us here for Kingdom Living Today. I am especially excited about our guest on today because this was something that was out the blue totally, but we just thank God for the connection and how we we're able to come together in order to hear what you are about to hear. So hold on to your seats and help me welcome my guest. This is, and he's, uh, he's, Understand, he's new in this calling, but he is Minister Kimo Uyola. And so with that, I know you probably heard that last name before because we interviewed his wife not too long ago. And we're just thanking God how he is bringing people together in order to bring their testimonies out for such a time as this. So Kimo, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm awesome. I'm so glad that you are able to share this testimony with us and just uh, give us what God you feel is happening today and and how all this came to be. So uh, I want to just start with, if you will, you you can tell us as little as much as you want, if you will, just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into your actual testimony. Okay, um, well, my name, obviously, Kino Yo, and again, thank you for, you know, giving me an opportunity to speak. Um, a little bit about myself, I was born in, born in Los Angeles, grew up part of my life in Hawaii, and the uh, majority of my, the rest of my life was in, Cal- I grew up in California again. I was in the military for quite a while, I mean, for about six years, got out, got married, and my family pretty much decided to kind of homestead here in Korea for the most part. Um, I actually became a Christian here in, in Korea. This is where I found Christ here. And so it may possibly be why I kind of feel the most comfortable when I'm back here in Asia. And that's kind of the short of, the short story about me. Okay, right. that's fine too. You know, um, we're just thankful. I know that you're married to to um Tan. We call well, we call her Tan, but Latanya, and I'm just thankful that God has brought you two together, and the things that He is getting ready to do in and through you. Um, we're looking forward to God doing great and mighty things in your life. So. As I was talking with her and she was telling us about this awesome testimony that you have. I mean, some we say it's awesome, but some people will be like, uh, I don't know if you want to call it. So I'm just going to let you tell it and let you uh, describe and, and tell us since then what has happened, what is going on with you. Um, since you say you, you, you became a Christian while in Korea, um, we would have thought um, that this would have taken place, you know, because when people receive dreams like this and, or, um, testimonies like this and things happen like that, they oftentimes run from God. (laughs) And so, you know, there's times when God has to catch up with them, but I'm going to turn it over to you and let you just give us your testimony. It wasn't a dream, but this was something that actually happened to you. So with that, go ahead and let us know. Oh, okay. Um, well, first of all, I do want to say that um, I don't, I wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't supposed to be born. Uh, when my mom first, you know, when my mom was first pregnant with me, my father didn't want me. And for the first trimester, my mom, my dad would basically physically punch my mother in the stomach in order to abort me. Mm. And, um, you know, again, by grace of God, I made it through the first trimester. By that point, you know, my dad pretty much gave up. He figured, There's, I'm not going to, I'm not, I won't, you know, I won't leave. So he gave up on that, though he did try very hard a few times as I was a kid to still get rid of me. So... Mm. I do know and I understand I, in the sense I've been fighting to be, to survive since even before I was born. Wow. Um, so I do, that's why I do believe that there, there is a reason for me to be here since 
you know, for so long, I've had a fight just to make it to now. Um, so as for my, my, my story, um, so kind of a little backstory to that. When I was maybe, I don't know, maybe 11, 12 years old, kind of like most kids, I kind of like, you know, I, um, I like watching scary movies and stuff like that. But I always noticed that there was one specific movie that I couldn't watch. And growing up, there was always like a, uh, I forget what channel, there was a channel that always played old movies all the time. But in the, for us in California in the summer, it would always show up. And that was The Exorcist would always come out. Mm-hmm. And it's something I always had to be careful about. Because if I ever just saw the trailer, I would become sick, like physically sick. Wow. I would run a fever. I'd start throwing up. I just wouldn't feel good. So when summertime came, I kind of became a little cautious because I knew the trailer was about to show up on commercials. And if I just even saw the commercial, like I said get physically sick mm. so this kind of happened for a few years and then one day kind of out of the blue i asked my mom you know or just in conversation asked it's kind of weird that every single time you know this movie comes out i seem to get sick and she says she and then she kind of offhandedly says oh that's probably because of what happened to you when you were a kid when you were about three years old oh and I was like, what do you mean what happened? What do you mean what happened to me when I was three? So that's when actually the, the, she actually told me what happened to me when I was about three years old. So um, this is kind of like for what my mom told me. And um, so when I was three, I, we used to live in Hawaii. Yeah, that's where I spent most of my time. Um, so I was born in Los Angeles. My mom and my dad wanted me to grow up in a nicer place, so they moved to Hawaii. Um, my mom was a she was a Christian. She believed in Christ. My father didn't. He absolutely hated Christians. He thought he called Christians witches. He didn't want me to be associated with the church at all. Um, so he would always fight my mom about taking me to church and this kind of went on. So my mom basically had to like sneak me to church every once in a while. She, um, she never actually explained to me what, what the, what caused it or what the catalyst was. The only thing she does remember is that one night we came home from a walk and, um, all of a sudden, I got sick. And normally, you know, you get sick, take you to the clinic, what have you. So my mom kind of thought, you know, I just had a cold or a flu, but it wouldn't go away. I just kept vomiting, kept running the fever. I wouldn't eat. And she couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, she would take me to the doctors. Doctors couldn't really find anything physically wrong with me. And, um, it just kept getting worse and worse. And like I said, my mom had no idea what to do. She'd ask some few people that she could talk to. And uh, they tell her, you know, you, you should take him to the church, let them pray over him. And, you know, maybe that'd help out a little bit. And then, you know, maybe, maybe somebody would have an idea of what was, what was going on. And my mom, you know, she didn't say no, but my father refused for me to go to the church. And, uh, it got so bad that I had to go to the hospital. I had to be hospitalized. And I was there for about two or three weeks. And every time I was there, doctors, they could physically see. I couldn't, I wouldn't consume food. I was vomiting. I ran a fever. My body was just, you know, it was eating itself. I was looking pretty bad. And at some point, the doctors are like, we, no matter what we do, no matter what we test, there's nothing, we can't find anything wrong with him physically, test-wise, he's fine. We see him and he looks, he doesn't look good, but there's nothing that we can give him to help him. So they basically gave me back to my mom and said, the best we can tell you is just take him home, 
keep him as comfortable as you as you can and just wait for him to pass so basically that's what my mom did and my dad was just kind of nonchalant about the whole thing uh finally my dad went went back to the mainland back to the you know main states um, business and my mom decided this is since he's gone I'm going to take him to the, I'm going to take him to the church. So um, my mom called a friend of hers to speak to the pastor over there. Uh, she's a, a lady pastor. Uh, her name I can't remember her last name. I know her first name was Mildred, and she was extremely loved not just within the church but within the community of Hawaii. And the lady they explained to her that my situation, and she said today. I'm going to call the church and they, he needs to come. He needs to come to the church because this isn't a natural thing. This is something else and it's trying to take him away. And uh, we're going to hold a special mass for him because this is not, this is, uh, this is, you know, this is not natural. So she called this emergency church mass or not mass, but you know, church. Um, and um, so my mom, you know, took me over there and she said when I, when I, I did not want to go into the doors once you know I, we got to the doors of the church I fought the entire way all I did it was kick and scream she's like I was like I was barely before we got there I was like barely animated I could barely move I was too weak to do anything she said but when you got to the doors of that church you you fought you did not want to go into that church and you just fought the whole way into the church. She's like, it was, it was really hard to, you know, hold you and hold you. And, um, when, um, Miss Mildred saw me, she walked up, she's like, yes, this, this is not of God. This is, he's here. There's, there's, there's a demon in him and he needs, we need to get rid of him, get rid of it. And she said when I, she walked up to try to kind of like console me and pat me on the head, she said, you, just said, why well, you jumped up at her and almost, you know, you wanted to bite her and scratch her, scratch her really bad. And she said, they, you know, they started the, the church, the, the, the entire thing, the whole service started, everything, praise and worship and everything. And then she told the congregation why they were, why they were here. They're here to pray for me and they were here to exercise this demon out of my body. And then she asked my mom to, to, to pass me to her. And she said, as soon as she she had she held me, I attacked her. I basically sat there and scratched her and you know, tore at her. And uh, Miss Mildred's told my mom, "No, you sit down. I have him. I'll, you know, this is nothing. And uh, we're going to save him." So she held on to me and she prayed and she anointed me with oils and. She sat there, and this my mom said for most of the night it was just her exercising. And she said, I, well, I finally, after you know, I guess half the night, I finally let out just a huge scream enough that, like I said, it 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 scared the congregation. And she's like, and then you passed out. She's like, after that, you know, Miss Mildred sat there and uh, gave you back you know, she gave me back to my mom and said you know she's like it's gone it's not here anymore. It, it, it's gone from his body she's like we need to baptize him tonight because we need to make sure this doesn't happen again so after that as soon as after that she gave me you know just a few minutes to rest and I got baptized and you know that was and then she took me home and she says I halfway home I asked if we could stop to eat because it would surprise my mom. And I told her, she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. Hmm. And she's, oh. and she was kind of like, you know, he hasn't, yeah, I, I haven't eaten in like months. Not really, you know, any real food. And she's like, yeah, we went, went to McDonald's and we got you like, so like, you're about three years old, but you ate a whole Big Mac by yourself. You're so hungry. <laughs> and she said, after that, you know, you were, she said, you were fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And then your dad came home and he saw you. You were out there just, you know, you were playing in, that, in the apartment. And he's like, what happened? And my mom just kind of looked at him. And he's like, he's better now. He's like, well, what'd you do? And he's like, I took him to the church. And they prayed over him. And they, 
find out what was wrong with him, and they got rid of it. You know, it. you would have figured something like that would have changed my father. But he actually got angry for that and said, you know, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have took me to those witches. But, you know, for whatever reason, like I said, you know, that, you know, that, that's the one that that's what ended up happening to me when I was three years old. And for, I guess it was still a lot inside, you know, the, the, the memory of it because every single time I see anything, any movies that had to do with exorcisms, I would get deathly sick. And I don't know if it's just the memory from, from that happening or not. But after my mom told me that story, I still don't remember it, but I do it did change like my perspective when it came to that. Like after that, I had no problems seeing not what, well, yeah, I guess seeing exorcisms and stuff like that, I guess, cause it was just something that I need to be purged my mind. But yeah, that's pretty much what happened to me when I was about three years old. Wow. Wow. What a story, what an experience. And for you to not be able to remember it, I'm sure it is something that, um, God has um, spared you from because you were so young and, and probably traumatized by that. But just the fact that it happened and you know that when you see things like that, I believe that this is God has given you an insight into into this. So from there, um, at, you said uh, it wasn't until you got to Korea that you actually became a Christian. And so your father wasn't, did he ever... Did he ever um, convert and be saved? Uh, to this day, I don't think he ever has. Mm. He's, he's never. I mean, okay. I, I'm assuming I haven't. I don't speak to him anymore. I'm assuming he's still alive. But as from the last time I spoke to him, no, he still doesn't believe in. You know, he doesn't believe in Christ. He doesn't believe in anything like that. He thinks it's all superstition. Okay. And, yeah. So I know that must have been an awful dynamic with um between him and your mother with her believing and then um seeing this what happened to her son. Um and it's and it's amazing how these things when people see these things and they're still not changed by them, but we know that um yeah, there must be an awesome call on your life since but even before you were actually born. Um, the enemy was trying to get rid of you and I'm not necessarily calling your, your dad, the enemy, but, um, he was, he was definitely using him. Um, and, and so the fact that you're, you are here, I tell people a lot of times that we are here because there's something that God has for us to do, especially with this being the end times. I mean, he didn't allow us to be born back in in 1815 but he allowed us to be born at this particular time and so we are here for such a time as this and i just believe that now is the time when this testimony of yours can come out and it can help others because we know that there are people who are taken over by demonic possession we know people who are oppressed and so they have to know that they are not alone but that there is help and that help comes from and through Jesus. So yeah. with that, um, what was your, the, the rest of, you know, you growing up, um, how did that affect you? Did you have uh, a negative view of the church or how, what was, what was your relationship with the church? Um, since your dad didn't want you to go, but your mom would go, how, how did that dynamic work? Well, after a while, I mean, I, again, um, well, we were in Hawaii. My mom, my, well, their marriage was a very abusive marriage. Um, my father was extremely abusive to my mom. You know, she would pretty much lock us up in the house. He, would, he didn't want us socializing with anybody. So, and um, he... Um, my mom, for the most part, she saved as much money as she possibly could, whenever she could, to get us out of there. So she, 
when again once again when my father went away to a trip she finally had enough money saved up and she again called the same church and told them today is the day we need to leave mm. so they helped her pack up everything pack us up whatever we had we didn't have much just some clothes and we bought a plane ticket to california so my mother pretty much left my father and we grew up you know so i grew up in california with my mom my dad did come and follow but he didn't really um like try to get us back he kind of let us be he'd come visit me you know to his credit i'll I, I will say that he did come and see me and my sister almost every weekend you know for a few hours for some few hours just to kind of spend some time with us but other than that that's the most he ever had you know most he ever did with us as it came as a day day by day so growing up mainly was with my with my mother and when we got to california uh my you know we're mainly mexican so we grew up she grew up taking well i grew up mainly her taking us to catholic services at the time so i kind of grew up catholic at that point we were in california i was about eight years old at the time um i mean i didn't for i mean i was still going to the church but i just didn't take to the to the catholic catholic religion mm-hmm. you know nothing against the catholics or anything like that but just their structure i i i, didn't, I just never took to it i never really i wasn't disrespectful but i just really didn't enjoy going there so as i grew up and i got you know into my into my teens i, I didn't really rebel but i didn't really hold too tight to um uh, to faith i mean i did believe there was a god but i didn't take much interest in him at all you know i didn't really sit there and try to seek him or understand i i knew what i knew when i a few times i did go to church with my mom but past that, I really didn't have much of an interest, you know, with with wanting to have a relationship with God. Okay, so with that, um, were would you say then that the basically your experience in the Catholic Church is, uh, or kind of turned you off from God, or put you off, or um, you just thought or felt that there was something more? I don't think it put me off. It made me indifferent. Okay. I think the the problem I like, again, you know, no disrespect to the Catholic Church. I, I mean, they do they do a lot of great stuff, and but I think it's because they're so structured and everything seems more of a ceremony than it does an actual worship. Mm-hmm. It just didn't appeal to me. So I was, you know, I was very indifferent. I was like, if this is the way you know, churches, this is the way how the God structure is. This is not for me. It's not something I like. Like as I said, I I did believe in a God. I did believe in Christ, but I didn't put much stock in him or in them. It was just kinda like, yeah, there's there is a God, yes, there is a Christ, but I don't really care so much about wanting to have a relationship or anything about of it since it didn't really seem like it's something that I needed at the time all right so let's fast forward then to um I mean I can understand what you're saying and and all of that um because there are a lot of people that go through life like that and they really they don't really know what it is but they know it's something that they're missing but they can't pinpoint it and they don't really turn to God, but they turn to other things. And uh, it's thankful that, you know, you didn't really turn to other things like that or, um, and and really get into the rebellious side of things. But let's fast forward to, um, your, let's fast forward to your time in the military. And when, um, you did find Christ or became saved. Okay. Um, so, like I said, I, I wasn't very, I didn't have a big relationship with Christ. Um, I joined the military mainly because I wanted to get away from where I grew up. I was, um, 
Like I said, I grew up in Los Angeles. It was in a very violent neighborhood. And some of the aspirations we have going up there, well, for us, you know, me being a kid growing up, was everybody wanted to join the gang to be part of something. Um, unfortunately, in my case, I was also incredibly smart. And um, surprisingly enough, a lot of gangs realized when you have a smart kid, they do smart things. And they realized that I had a real talent of... Um, <laughs> I don't, have to go on, I don't really want to get too, too specific, but I had a talent of um, just, put, just um, bringing... Let's just say uh, you had a, you had a way with things. <laughs> Let's just say... I was, I, was, I was very good at a lot of things within, the, within that thing. Yeah, okay. Which, uh, they, they, it separated me from what you consider a regular gangbanger. It was kind of elevated up to something you'd call more of an officer within the, within those organizations. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at 13, I had a car. At 15, I had my own apartment. And I had more money than a 15-year-old should have, should be allowed to have. So I was very responsible, and I lived um, a pretty fast life. But by the time I was about 18 years old, I was very, very burnt out, and I was extremely exhausted of everything that I was doing at the time, and as well as just the pressure that I had, and um, just always being on guard. I was just so tired, and um, I wanted to get away. I wanted to leave. So my original plan was I was gonna save up some of that money that I that I was accumulating and I was gonna get on a bus and run away to New York mm. and mm. to be a firefighter. Cause I was like, if anything, if I could start clean, this is what I really wanna do. Okay. And okay. that's not what happened. I ended up just prior to doing that, I got a phone call from um, a Navy recruiter. And for some reason I said yes. When I got there, the recruiter wasn't there. He was somewhere else. They did another appointment or what have you. So I said, you know, forget it. I'm going to just go back to my, my original plan. But the Army was there, and they're the ones that are like, hey, we'll talk to you. <laughs> so I kind of went with them. And um, so when I joined the military, again, I figured that by that point, I had the mentality that it's like anything that needs to be done, I could do it myself. There is no need for God because God hasn't helped me at all the entire time. It's always been me. I've supported, I, you know, by the age, by nine years old, I was making a little bit of money and I was taking care of myself. My mom didn't have to worry about me. Hmm. So I had that mentality, even going into the military. It's like, I did this. I got out of the, I got out of that life. I put myself in the situation, you know, and I was, I wasn't, you know, I was legitimately enjoying being in the military. It was something new. I actually, like I said, you know how the, the military is, they tear you down and they build you yeah, back up. Mm-hmm. So I thought I was doing great. And um, at the time, I had a fiance with another, it was a different girl away before I met my wife. Um, so I thought I was, I did it. I thought I was great. I was like, hey, I did it. I, everything's going great in my life. And, um, yeah, I said I was doing great. I was on the state. I was uh, stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia. I was happy, and then I came down on orders to come to Korea. And for some reason, I just did not want to come here. I I fought it. I said no. I tried everything I could to get out of going to Korea, and it just wasn't happening. They're like, you're going to Korea. Once you come down on orders to Korea, there's no getting out of it. <laughs> and um, so I got here. I got to Korea in December 1997, no, 96, December 1996. And again, things were still going great. And within, by the end of that year, everything kind of crashed on me. Um, my, I, I was, you know, in a country, I didn't know anybody I separated from my family. I didn't, um, I really didn't talk to anybody. And I, you know, so I didn't know anybody and all of a sudden my fiance calls me and says, Hey, I don't want this anymore. 
I don't want to be with you, and good luck. Oh, wow. So I, I, you know, I saw everything crash on me, and I was like, how is this possible? You know, I, I had everything going. I had everything right. And since I had nobody to talk to, I was by myself. I mean, almost literally by myself. My roommate, I didn't have my roommate. He was always gone. So it was just, I was by myself, literally. And at that point, I just, I didn't know what to do. So I, it's just, I guess I did the only thing I thought I could do. And I, I prayed and I just said, you know, Lord, I need you. I don't know what to do lost and I need your help hmm. and um, I went to bed that night and then early in the morning I um, literally was shooken awake I felt like this tug on my leg and I woke up and I just heard in my head get up get dressed and go and I was like go where you know and it's just get up, get dressed and go. So I did just that. I got up, I got dressed and I walked out my barracks door and I just walked. And, um, which wasn't really something new. I've always been a walker. I've walked, I've been notorious for walking for miles for no apparent reason. I just enjoy walking. So it was no big deal for me. So I went and I walked and I walked. I basically walked almost the entire base here in Korea. And I was way out in the back by the flight lines where all, you know, where all the helicopters and the airplanes take off. And I, I was out there all by myself on top of a hill. And at that point, I, I just felt this joy. It just hit, hit me in the heart. Mm. And all I could do was just cry and laugh and smile. And then I heard him, he told me, he's like, you're going to be good. I have you, and I'm going to take care of you. And um, don't worry about her. She'll be taken care of too. She'll be fine. But I have you. I just need you, you know, to... Um, To, to want me in your life. So that day I stood there by myself. And I just basically said, you know, Christ, I need you in my life. Amen. You know, I, um, I haven't been good and I try to do things on my own, but I can't. I need you to do these things for me. Mm -hmm. And he said, don't worry. When you get back, things are going to be different when you walk into that barracks. <laughs> and sure enough, when I left, when I started walking back, you know, I was, I, I felt so much better. I felt that peace. And as soon as I walked into those barracks, people smiled at me, said hello. Mm -hmm. And I, again, went right back to them too. And, you know, I was, I was, I said hello to everybody. Uh, people actually started, you know, Kind of, you know, wanting to to speak with me, and it 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 got became very positive. Where it got to the point that people were coming to my room just to, to they wanted to talk to me, and which surprised me because, like I said, for the first maybe two three months, it was just me by myself the entire time. So the change that I saw was big, and I think it was a gradual thing because I know once that happened. It took a while for me to get a Bible, but I would pray a lot and, you know, try to, I, I don't know why I didn't, I didn't go to the chapel. I just, for some reason, I married because I, I was so used to doing things by myself. I figured I had to figure this out by myself as well. So it was kind of like a lot of prayer and it took a few months before I was able to, before I actually decided to get a Bible. And started getting into it, but that's you know mainly how I actually decided to accept Christ into my life was. And again, like I said, it was. It wasn't with the congregation or anybody else. It's just me and him. It was a very private moment. But yeah, it's 
pretty much how, how it happened for me. Uh, amen. You know, and, and I know, uh, that peace, we can identify with that peace because it's that peace that surpasses all understanding. And yes, you can say that you walk back into that barracks, a new creature, a new man. And so, um, even with that, how God was just working and in, in moving in you and in your life to show you, look, you're not alone. And now things are going to be different. So, um, we thank God for that. Um, I'm just curious if you can, can fast forward or move us into, um, how you met your wife, because I know she's a Christian and, yeah. you know, if, if you could just, uh, you know, let us know about that because, um, well, even before, before you answer that, um, I want to go back to something that you had said when you were talking about, you know, at, at a young age, you, you were on your own and you had, uh, at 13, you had a car and 15, your own apartment. And basically you had more money than, um, uh, 15 should, 15 year old should have, um, your mom at this time, what, what was going on? If you, if you want to share this, um, what was going on with her? Was she, I know being a Christian, I'm sure she was still praying for you every, every day. Uh, but what was going on with, at that time? Well, it, I mean, it, I wasn't having problems with my mother or anything like that. It was more like for me when I was about, you became the caretaker. Well, in, in a sense, um, you know, my, my, it was, uh, for a while, it was just, you know, me, my mom, and my sister. And, um, yeah, I think at the time, yeah, it was still that way. And, um, you know, she, she was working all the time. And at the time, I think you could, if, I don't remember very well how the rules went, but I knew she had food, we were on food stamps, and she was still working full time. And that still wasn't enough. And one of the moments that, like, has always hit me the hardest that I still remember is being at a, at, a, at a store and we're buying food, just, you know, the very essentials. I mean, for us, obviously, you know, we're buying beans and tortillas, just the very essentials to eat. And I remember standing there where she was paying and she used her, you know, her book of food stamps as before they gave you the little card. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, the whole book of colorful money. And uh, it wasn't enough. And she had to open this bag up and she paid the rest of it in pennies. Mm. And I felt it was my fault. So I told myself, it was like, you are not going to have, if I pull myself out of the equation, you don't have to worry about feeding me. So at that time, I told myself, it's like, I'm going to find a way that she doesn't have to worry about me. I'll take care of myself so she can focus on taking care of herself and my sister. Mm. So what she has will, she'll have enough so she can feed my sister. She can feed herself, but not worry about me. And, um, you know, it it was, that was in my head. And again, you know, about nine years old, the opportunity came up and I mean, at the point, um, when I, that's about when I first got noticed by certain gangs. And that, at that time, I was nine years old, and this, um, like you call him my mentor, later on he became my mentor in what I was doing. He um, he came out of his apartment and had this um, big bag of cocaine, and he said, if I could hide it for him, I'd get a little extra money. So I did. And that day, the, the police came to the, those apartment complexes. They raided the whole place. They couldn't find any of the drugs. So they couldn't arrest anybody. So apparently I did a good thing for them. And, you know, when I told them where I, how I, where I put it and where I hit it, they were very surprised how I did it, how, how smart I was doing it. And, you know, they were, they, they gave me a little extra money. And after that, they were kind of, they kept coming to me because I was very good at hiding these things. <laughs> And then they also realized again. I had a, a I have other, I had a, I was very creative, and I had, a, you know, I thought out of the box, which is something a lot of the, they really liked, and that's what kind of afforded my, afforded my career, in that if you want to call it a career, right? But um, 
Um, but since I was making money at the time, that's when I started kind of taking care of myself. So I could go and buy food for myself. As I got older, I go buy clothes for myself. As for the car, I didn't buy that. That was actually gifted to me by those people. Because mm-hmm. they also needed the... I, at the time when I was 13, I actually looked a little older than 13. So I can kind of get away with driving a car, which they you out they needed me to do certain drive things to right. certain areas and um so that's how that happened and uh, as i said i was kind of after a while i was kind of considered what would be the equivalent of an officer in that kind of organization and there were times where they're like we you can't go home because if you go home people want to come to the house and you, you're trying to keep that that life separate from your family. So again, they gifted me an apartment going places paid for. You can stay here whenever you want. Don't worry about anything else. And when we tell you you can't go home, this is where we want you to be because it's safe here. So that's kind of how, but as for, like I said, that's mainly why I said I, I've been taking care of myself since I was about nine, nine years old, because I just decided, I, I thought it'd be better to take myself out of the equation so it would help my family make it. Okay. Okay. All right. So with that, um, let's go back to the moment when you met your wife and you fell madly in love. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that was, I think that was more of a process than the instantaneous thing. Um, um, at the, I mean, at the time we were de- deployed and bought, me, my wife was also in the military. She was stationed at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. I was stationed at Fort Hood in Texas. And I'm sure some of you guys have heard about Hood by the news. Hmm. And, um, and uh, so I was there. We got, we got deployed. I got deployed with my unit as well. So we met. Well, actually, technically, I met my wife before that, but I don't think she remembers that. <laughs> uh, we were, because before we were deployed to Bosnia, we had to do other, some other, some training to get used to being in that environment. So mm-hmm. we went on a training exercise to uh, Fort Polk in Louisiana. And uh, one of my, one of my friends, he showed an interest in my wife when they was when we were there and he showed me he you know he's like that's that's her that's the girl and i, I want to speak to which was at the time which is now my wife <laughs> and i was like what well, you know i was kind of like, why don't you go talk to her he's like well i don't i don't i don't i just which is kind of weird because he said he's just gonna bring himself up to talk to her mm. and for the most part they i don't think they spoke while they were in louisiana at all so that was about the way that's when i first saw my wife was back then and at the time, at that time in Louisiana stuff, I was very much still, I wasn't worried about meeting anybody. I was still kind of trying to get a grasp of, you know, being a Christian and learning more about Christ and working on my relationship. So I wasn't really looking for anybody while, you know, at that time. And, um, but after that, um, few months later we got deployed to uh, Bosnia and that's when uh, my, my my friend decided to finally go speak to my wife and for a good portion actually for the entire time they were there they were together they were a boyfriend and girlfriend and I had a relationship of my own at the time which again I wasn't looking for it but it kind of happened and as the time went on in Bosnia, you know, towards the end, my relationship fell apart, which they always do at the time, because apparently I was supposed to think it, I, I think in hindsight, I think it was kind of like, you need time for yourself. You don't need to be bogging yourself down with all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so our de- deployments, the, the, the deployments finished and uh, she went back to 
North Carolina, we went back to Fort Hood, and um, everything was going good for them for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, my roommate, got, he became my roommate when we got back. He just decided he wanted to end the relationship with really no, no, um, no reason. He just decided that's it. And um, my wife, you know, she kept calling every once in a while, wanted, trying to get answers to what was going on why you know what happened if there's another woman or what have you but for the most part i normally didn't answer the phone it's just one day i decided to finally answer the phone <laughs> and uh, i started talking to her and she was she asked me and i was like why what happened do i know and i was like i have no idea he's never told me anything that you know, was going on he just decided to end it but at that you know that one phone call which was just meant to kind of kind of console her and try to, you know, give her some peace of what was going on, you know, hopefully, you know, this can kind of like, you know, she, she can move on and he can move on too. It kind of turned into a friendship. We ended up kind of calling each other more often and kind of just talking. So for a better part of a year, we just kind of spoke on the phone and got to know each other strictly on the phone before we actually, um, made plans to meet face to face. So, I mean, we literally became friends for about a year before we actually decided to even officially call ourselves, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or give us any title at all. So kind of how we met. (laughs) (laughs) But you were still, you were still in Texas and she was still in Georgia. No, uh, North Carolina. No, North Carolina, North Carolina. Okay, so, um, and, and but you were already, I heard you say, because um, you were just trying to um, better your relationship with, with Christ and learn more of him. So you were already Christian, and uh, did, did y'all conversation, was that like the one of the things that strengthened you and helped you to move forward? And with that, how did... How did, you know, with y'all being in different states, how did that eventually come together? Because I know now that you are, both of you are a power couple and um, God is getting ready to use y'all mightily. So uh, I, we all all know that this was um, definitely just God's way of moving y'all to finally really meet each other. Um, he may have had to go a roundabout way of allowing it to happen, but um, eventually it did. So how is it that you finally came to meet each other and cement the relationship? Or is um, that something that you remember? Because most men that you, <laughs> most men you'd be like, oh, well, I, um, let me, let me ask my wife. <laughs> no, it, it was, I know it was, it was getting, fairly close to the end of my contract with the military and um, I said we, we spoke for a, about a, about a year I mean, I mean it came from a few phone calls a week to calling every you know calling about every single day and just uh, talking and at one point we we're like you know let's try to figure out a time that we can kind of meet face to face just because we kind of realized there was more building up to it than just being friends mm-hmm. so we decided you know one of us we either either she'd come to texas or i go to north carolina and um it was during a martin luther king weekend it was a lot of weekends so it was kind of like let, let let i'll fly down yeah i'll fly down to uh north carolina and i'll meet you there so yeah, over during Martin Luther King weekend, we decided I decided to go fly down there. Even that was kind of a hassle because the flight got got delayed a lot, and I was up in what became I think it was a two-hour flight became like a six-hour flight. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of stuck in North Carolina before I landed. But um, yeah, we kind of we decided like, over Martin Luther King weekend, which I guess was in 1999. Okay. Yeah, 1999. Yeah, we. I, you know, I flew in to see her, and at that point, it was kind of like, so are we? Are we not boyfriend and girlfriend, or (laughs) we're gonna go with this? And that weekend, we decided yes. And then actually, that same weekend, we decided we're gonna get married. Okay. Well, so what? What did um? What did your friend think about this at that point? (laughs) 
I mean, I know he was out the out the picture, but you know. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, he he didn't really have an opinion to it. Okay. He just, he very, I mean, I um, I mentioned it to another another person while I was there. I was like, "Hey, guess what? I'm getting married." And he was. I remember we were driving, and um, I just kind of, you know, he just driving and just kind of blurted out to him. I was like, "Hey, guess what? I'm getting married." And he's like, "Shut up!" And I was like, "No, really, I'm getting married." And he just stopped the car really quick, and he's like, "You're being serious?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "To who?" Because you don't see you talking to anybody here. <laughs> I kind of told him really quick. It's like, you know, who she was, and he's like, "Did you speak with him about it?" And I was like, "Not really," because he didn't seem to care, but. I mean, I'll say something if you want, you know. And so I went and I told him, hey, guess what, you know, get married. And I told him who it was, and he was like, well, congratulations. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for you guys. And then he just kind of carried on. Mm-hmm. He didn't seem to phase him or he didn't seem to care very much. Well, I know that's because we know now that wasn't the relationship. The relationship was meant to be between you and her. And so, again... We just thank God how he orchestrates things in our lives to move kind of like chess pieces where he'll move us in different positions and places to be where we're supposed to be, to meet the people that we're supposed to meet. And, and so um, I know that, again, this was not it was not coincidental, but, you know, God had to allow things to play out in the way that they did. And just thanking God that. um uh, he did. So how long, I know you said you, y'all decided that pretty much that day to get married. How long did it actually take you to get married? Uh, let's see. So it was Martin Luther King and we got married on Valentine's Day right after that. So it wasn't too long after that either. Okay. Oh, no, wait, no, no, take that back. It took about a, almost a year because... We did that, but then I was getting ready to get out, and she came down on orders to go to uh, Korea. Oh. And so that kind of got pushed back until she came down on orders, and we decided to drive from Fort Bragg to California where she'd fly out. So I met her there, and just before she PCS is when we got married, so that kind of got backed up a little bit till. 2020 or 2000 sorry 2000 february 14 2000 that's when we got married all right so that's that's awesome so now you two are together and um you have a beautiful family and you're in ministry together that is so awesome i i know um each of you are are really uh finding your your way and your call and beginning to step out in your in your ministry and it's just beautiful how God is bringing this together and allowing you to go forth. So from there, what do you see or where do you see yourself and your wife, if you want to include her in this, where do you, where do you see yourself going from here as far as in ministry and that which God has for you, what he's calling you to do or what you feel that he's calling you to do? I know. I feel that he, he's. I I do feel that he's calling me. I like I said, I feel that he, he is calling me, and I think the first steps would be he's, he is calling me to start up a, a men's Bible study, but he's also shown me that from there it's going to flourish to something much bigger than just a men's Bible study. It's something that's going to grow and quite possibly grow grow into a church. Amen. Um. I, I do feel it's, uh, I kind of want to say it's not a, I don't want to say it's not tr- a traditional type, but, um, well, you know, know, we're not, we're not know. dealing with traditional times right now. So right, I, that's, it, that's understanding. But, <laughs> right. But I mean, I know, I think the thing is, I, one of the, I've heard that a church isn't supposed to, you know, be, Mainly, I mean, it is obviously for Christians, but it's you're, the main, it's supposed to be more of a hospital yes. than a, a place for Christians. So you bring the broken so that you can heal them. And, but lately, 
in most churches, that's not what you're doing. It, it's kind of become like a game of hunger behind your hippos where everybody is trying to gather up as many Christians as they can into their church, and they're not going out there and bringing in the sick. Mm, so my that's the feeling I get, this, as well as the feeling as this men's Bible study isn't something that, I, it's something that's going to be bringing in the Christians who want to learn more about the Bible, but bring in those who don't know Christ and introduce it to him in order to grow those men into those Christians, again, as a hospital to heal them. And then from that point, it's supposed to grow to something. Again, it's a church, but more of a hospital to heal those that need to be healed. And now I have the main focus on bringing in more Christians. Amen. 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 And I believe, I believe that is something that is so very needed in this time. And we have to realize that um, it's not just about being within the four walls and uh, we are the church. And so we have to go out when Jesus sent the, gave the great commission. He said, go into all the lands, go wherever you go and preach the word, preach the gospel. And so this is really what I will call to do is to, when we go out to minister you know, we are to make disciples and, and call people to follow him, to lead them and show them the way unto him. So again, it's an exciting journey that you are on. And I'm just thankful that I and my husband are going to be, have the honor of being a part of that. And um, with that, is there anything else that you would like to share with us or tell us? Um, because we know that we are living in desperate terrible times right now and we see the turmoil and the chaos and everything that's going on but we also know that a lot of this is is of the enemies doing and god is in control but still there's a message that needs to go out every from everything that you've experienced everything that has happened in your life there's a message that god still wants to put out i believe it is a message of hope but what is it that you feel the message, um, and I'll give you the last word, you feel that God has given you for his people. I, I think what he's doing all these years that I've been studying and learning, uh, as I said, a lot of times it's been mainly me, God, and the Bible. And um, so... so in all, everything that I've always learned and studied and as I kept keep going now, I think the one thing, sometimes people very much miss the boat and they figure that to be a Christian, to be, you know, to try to have a relationship with Christ is kind of going through the motions as everybody sees now. And they think they can treat God as a genie. That it's kind of like you pray it, you get it, and there you go. And that you, and if something bad happens, it's God punishing you, much like what happened to Job. Um, I think my, what I really want people to understand that God wants a relationship. It, the, the entire, the, the Bible is there to introduce you to him it's his love letter that he has for us mm-hmm. and that he's he does everything he possibly can in life to show you how much he loves you and that he puts it in everything that he gives us and when some of us sit or you know sit and go i just don't feel him or i don't see him in my life sometimes it's a matter of you have to stand back and realize everything that's in your life is that letter that he's given us you know the understanding of unconditional love you know he gave us that when he gave us children because once that child is born you just first meet him but that love that you have automatically is unconditional there's nothing you will do you won't do for your children mm-hmm. that's god's way of showing us how unconditional his love is to us his own children you know things like just you know even in death that suffering i mean he made himself man 
And just so we don't sit there and go, well, God can't possibly understand our pain. I mean, the reason why Jesus wept is because he finally, he understands our, our pain. Yes. And he's able to understand these things. He's an understanding God. And these things he does in order for us to understand, he, he wants to have a relationship. He wants to be part of our lives. He's not a genie. He's not a servant. He's not just somebody you show up, kind of like a parent, where your child comes and asks you for money. And then doesn't talk to you for the next week until he needs something else from you. He's there. You know, he wants to be there to listen. He wants to be there for your your all your your cuts and your bruises. He wants to cry with you when days you feel like crying and days you want to just dance around the house by yourself. He wants to be there dancing with you. And it's something that people need to start learning that it's not just going to the church, doing the rituals that you see at the church, and coming home and then packing them up and then bringing them back out again next Sunday. I think that's one of the problems that we're having now. You know, there are a lot of churches are like this and they teach you this is all you really need. And they completely forget about the relationship part. And it, it it's detaching us a lot from Christ and it's detaching us from having that relationship and feeling that. I know as I go through my days, because I've built more, uh, I've built this relationship and I still don't feel I'm close. I, I have my relationship is strong enough yet with him. I've told my, my daughter, you know, I still hope for the day that one day God will sit there just like he did Abram and said, that's my friend, you know, but, um, I'm trying to build that relationship where I feel that God can sit there and go, he's my friend. Um, but it's something that, you know, obviously that, that Bible is there for, and he shows us on a daily basis that he wants to be part of our lives. And I think once people start coming back to that and realizing that this is an actual living relationship that, he's trying to build with us and not just something where again you go to a brick and mortar building on a weekly basis i think uh, people start coming not just coming back but people start growing being more bolder because i know it, people are faster to defend a friend than they are to defend an acquaintance hmm. and i feel a lot of times that's the way people are with christ and why it's so hard for christians to stand up and defend him when he's not a friend, but he's an acquaintance. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I kind of really want people to start understanding that we need to start rebuilding this relationship and having this relationship, legitimate relationship with him and not just have him as an acquaintance because it's, it'll be, we, we, we as a church would be stronger and we'll be more willing to stand up and defend him if we see him as a, a legitimate, cherished, loved, per, loved one in our lives, as opposed to, yeah, I see him on the weekends. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much how I, how I, 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 I feel that we, that, um, we need to start getting back into. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, it is so very important for, us to get back to having that relationship with God. And once again, I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your testimony and for giving us what you feel God is giving you for his people on today. So before we go, if you will, um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, can you just give them, um, let them know how they would be able to get in touch with you? Because, you know, from your testimony, somebody else may be out there and saying, you know, I went through something like that. And, and, um, this is encouraging to know that other people have gone through it. So if they want to get in touch with you, let them know how they can get in touch with you. Um, I think the best way right now to get in touch with me would be um, on my Facebook account, which uh, is Kimo Oyoa. I'm the only one in on Facebook. So it's just K-I-M-O-U-L-L-O-A. Only one on Facebook. There is no one or anything before it. I'm the only one that exists apparently on the planet with this name. Um, <laughs> you can also find me on Instagram. Same, very same thing. Kimo, 
Uyoa, K-I-M-O-U-L-L-O-A. Once again, the only one. There's no other ones or pluses or underscores. It's just that name, and my name will be one of the first names to pop up. And those are the two best places they find me. Okay, amen. And and so, once again, we just want to thank you for being here. And um, we look forward to the great things that are going to come from your ministry and even from the ministry between you and your wife. And again, just want to thank you for your time here with us today here on Kingdom Living Today. So with that, um, just be blessed. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining Apostle Des here for Kingdom Living Today. To contact us, visit our Facebook page at iKingdom Ministries or go to our website at www.ikingdomministries.org. To send a donation, send to iKingdom Ministries, Post Office Box 180576, Tallahassee, Florida 32318, or donate online at iKingdomMinistries.org. Until next time, be blessed.